0: Hey, everybody. It's DG. We are about to bring you part one of a highlight show from 2018. We got some of the best episodes from this year, mashed up, cut up. It's going to be amazing. So here's part one of the best of Seeking Wisdom from 2018.
1: I was just explaining this to the team because we're going to start doing more top, top of the funnel content, mm-hmm. but it's all been bottom top of the funnel content. So what's like, that mean? Writing. So when you look at your funnel, right? Like, your your top of the funnels is where you're getting a lot of the visits. And for us, it was more high leverage to write a blog post about pricing, about discounts, about all of these different things that you have to seek out than to write stuff about like, let's do a founder interview with DC or let's do like dc's top 10 favorite books like that kind of stuff mm. which is more top top of the funnel mm-hmm. um and so that brought in high leverage so like the traffic wasn't necessarily like insane but it started yeah, yeah. building that brand it's highly it qualified um and then the other thing that started happening um was we were just like people would ask us advice all the time mm-hmm. and i normally like even if i knew they were going to give us no money in the near future or even the long-term future i was like sure i'll get on the phone with them and now it's like like hook up to Profitable, yeah.
0: Like no, because I think just on that from the outside perspective, I think I have no idea what your marketing has been, but I know that you you built up this resource where if you're thinking about subscription based pricing, yeah, it seemed to be you or Patrick is the pricing guy, and that seems to be the brand that you've built through mm-hmm. through content. Totally, yeah. and is you
2: it, have this unique view on because of the because of the products you have on the subscription economy, and what are the what are the good and bad things that you see in the current Going into 2018 market,
1: yeah, I I don't think it's unique give all, to be, give it to to be frank, yeah. but uh, I do think it's it's just what the data is saying. Sure, what do right, say? and so I think we're living in this like funny world where you know on the the venture side it's like oh bubble not bubble like there's this huge like mm-hmm. honestly I don't think the debate really matters like it no. matters like obviously for like companies that are raising heavy but. I think for the he most part, me when you said that. yeah, like I indicated your way.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I think <laughs> uh, what typically happens is like it's CACs are going up, CAC mm-hmm. is up 50%. Over the past so that's five years, cost, of, acqui- cost of acquisition is up. Yep. So that customer that costs you a hundred dollars. Do you
0: have any idea why? Like it's just because there's density, more. Density, Like there's, there's so more stuff much density, Yeah. I have right? 58 ways you could talk to me on my phone. Totally. And, yeah. Well, and oh, here's no. here's the problem.
1: Here's the competitors? problem. Competitors. Mm-hmm. I just competitors, meant like my. I, I
0: just meant my like MindShare. I think the thing that I think about a lot is there's. There's a million channels, right? Like the totally. example is like if you were, if this was the late '90s, uh, early 2000s, right? And you were doing email marketing, you're probably the first person in the world to do email marketing. You probably got 90 percent open rates, 70 yeah. percent click rates. Now, there's a hundred different channels that that I'm on every single day. How do you know where to reach me? Here's, as a buyer? here's the problem. Yeah. You're
1: totally right, but it's a conflation of a couple of things.
0: Okay.
1: One, there's density from just the amount, like think of content. Mm. Like it used to be you put out a good blog post and you were like, God, right? right?
0: Or there was, there was maybe two new companies on TechCrunch every week. Totally, now there's right? a whole site product where there's right? 100 a day.
1: And now that's happening while you have competition happening. Mm-hmm. So there's 8,000 companies now dedicated to growing, yeah. right? If you look at their H1s and their websites, it's all something about growth, right? Like mm-hmm. 8,000 of those. In addition to that, channels have leveled off so it used to be back in the e- early email marketing days, we were getting a brand new big channel every quarter. Mm. Like every single quarter, we're getting a Google and AdWords. Like we're all coming online. Now the average number of, um, for the past five years, the average number of channels that are being utilized in the business mm-hmm. is about 13. Mm-hmm. And it stayed consistent yeah. over the past five years.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that's happening. And then all of a sudden, the other thing that's happening because of all that competition is willingness to pay is declining.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so we've seen this in the data like, got a million data points on this Mm -hmm. where all of a sudden all this cost is going up willingness to pay for features because they're relatively easy to build right we're all building quicker Mm -hmm. that's gone down and then to top it all off consumers aren't happy
2: Mm -hmm. yeah and I'd add one more thing which is more money has moved in yeah to take the arbitrage out of those 13 channels or totally
0: You talk about this, so this is interesting. I didn't see the connection, but Mm -hmm. all the stuff he said is basically what you've been saying, which is the whole SaaS is a commodity, right? It's a
2: commodity, and more money has moved in, and then more money is competing for the same number of channels and the same people. And so like then the arbitrage, a.k.a. the opportunity in those channels, goes away, right? It flattens.
0: Why is this whole... This whole genre of fitness and and health and mindfulness—like, do you feel like this is something that? that is bubbling up over the last couple of years. And like, w- why do you think that has become the case where this wasn't something that everyone was, you know, writing about, blogging about, podcasting about, you know, five, six, 10 years ago. I think it feels like this is a, this is a key topic now. I mean, it's why, it's why our podcast exists. It's, you know, rich, the, 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 mantra of everything that you do, you know, Brad with, with, you know, your, your last book, like it seems to be that this is something happened in the last couple of years where this is now a topic that everyone is concerned about.
3: That's a great question. Um, certainly, you know, undoubtedly, wellness is having a moment. Um, I would contend that that it started, you know, perhaps a couple of years prior to that, but you know, definitely, you know, subject matters related to wellness, fitness, well-being, mindfulness, meditation, even minimalism—all of these kind of lifestyle ideas are very much part of the zeitgeist discussion at the moment. And as for why that is, I think it's a function of, of a number of things. I think it's a function of millennials coming of age, uh, who were raised on the internet and have a, a, a different perspective on on uh, you know seeking purpose and meaning throughout through their careers, where there's a priority and a premium placed on on you know, enjoying what you do, on giving back, on taking care of oneself, that perhaps. Was less important uh, amongst my generation, being a Gen Xer, and then with the Gen Xers, you know, coming into their 40s and their 50s, and, and you know, trying to figure out how to extend their life and and be fulfilled and, and engaged in their careers in a way that perhaps their parents weren't. I think begs the question of of wellness and how to take care of oneself as opposed to just you know, settling into the into the lazy boy chair for, you know, 20 years of, of reruns. Um, and I think on top of that, you know, the internet with its, you know, access to you know every bit of knowledge that we would ever want or need, um, has fueled, I think, an undercurrent of interest in how we can better take care of ourselves.
0: Same thing with you, Brad, what do you think?
3: Yeah, that's a great answer. I, I, I
4: don't, I don't have much to add. Um, I think, I think Rich hit the nail on the head. Uh, you know, the, the only other thing that I would say maybe is, well, it definitely seems like wellness is having a moment. I, I think that there is still a lot of noise in order to find the signal. Uh, I know it's something that we briefly discussed the last time I was on the show, but, um, you know, people, something for nothing never gets old. And I think that for every, you know, one good podcast or really good book with insights that that will work, there are... 10 to 50 to 100 hack your way to growth um wear this magnetic bracelet wear this thing on your head and your brain will improve because um, the truth is a lot, a lot of people want wellness but it's it's really not about a quick fix it's about a, a lifestyle and um and it's tough especially if you're not coming from a place of wellness
0: So, so so I want to shift let, let, let's shift from talking about like the people side of it I mean DC, we have we have Amy on here. We have to dig into we have to dig into her life. Please, oh no, it's not often (laughs) we we talk to people at this level. So, what what is what is like what's a what's a what's a day in your life, week in your life like right now? Like you know, building a company, um, sitting on a bunch of boards. Like what it like? How do you how do you try to prioritize your time? Because obviously you're you're getting a million requests. You're getting pulled in a million different directions. Like what are your kind of like? Do you have any any I guess like first principles for yourself? Almost for how you're thinking about your time and your your day. I do, and
5: I, I, you know, continuously want to try to be more deliberate about it. So, one of the things my co-founder Matisse Rule, said when we started this company was, "One of my favorite things about starting something or being at an early stage company is you wake up Monday morning and you have no idea what you will have had to learn by Friday." And the thrilling thing is, there is something every single week that you did not know how to do, or you just didn't know about. Right? You didn't know how to make the decision as of Monday, that you have learned by Friday. And that is, that is why I do this. That is a big part of it. I I love that part of it. And so alongside that, whatever the learning, the big learning is for that week, or whatever it is that I wake up not knowing on Monday, I want to check by Friday, that, you know, we figured it out, and we have a way to do it. Um, One of the things I try to do every morning, and I don't, I don't actually get to it every morning, but eight or nine mornings out of 10, right, I will meditate. And that is massively helpful. So I I don't know if you guys kind of look at Myers-Briggs typing at all as a communication method or tool, but I'm ENTJ. Uh, We're obsessed with it. (laughs) You're what? ENTJ? Yes, I'm ENTJ. Okay.
0: Okay. I was going to say, D- DC's C's an INTJ, and if if you were also an INTJ, I was gonna have to hang up and be done. You're not. You're not allowed. The Earth. The, the Earth. The Earth does not let you.
5: Oh, the INTJs are demanding. You're just the, ex-
0: you're just the yes. extroverted version. I'm the no, She's the commander. She's the commander. But yeah. I, I'm. Wait, uh, DC, t- talk, t- tell her about, uh, t- talk about like, we, we do actually use, we're, we're heavy on personality nice. uh, tests and, and we, we just started to use um, something here at Drift, yeah.
2: Yeah, we use, uh, so I've been obsessed with them a long time. We use uh, Predictive Index, which is a little bit different. Um, so I've used Meyer Briggs, I've used uh, Disk Assessment, strength Finders, like every, every single one of them i have obsessed. But this is fascinating. So Amy is known as the commander. ENTJ personality, aka
5: the pain in the ass. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I love it. I wish I was the commander. We at,
5: do you we, know what we, we do, which I think is so funny. So you know the Star Wars um, Myers Briggs typing chart. So there's Chewbacca no, I on to there, I to Princess Leia, Darth Vader. Yeah, everybody. Okay, so everybody's on there. Mm. So when we, so if you want to, when you come in, you can take the MBTI test, right? And then you can mark down which one you are. And so we're trying to have personality and communication style diversity in the company too, right? Because one of the things <laughs> that we want to do, so it's kind of like, oh, we don't have an Ewok. We need an Ewok, which is silly, but it's more emblematic of, hey, there's nobody who brings this point of view, right? There's, there's no one who's um, ESFP on our team. I wonder what we're missing as a result and what we're what we're missing from our customer communication standpoint, et cetera, as a result of not having that person. Let's just be cognizant of the fact that we have a small hole there. But beyond that, we actually use it uh, for stress response purposes. So, one of the things that we do kind of once a year is we sit down as sub teams and then we sit down in locations and everybody goes around the table and reminds everyone this is my MBA, MBTI type and my stress response looks like this. So some people say, my stress response looks like me withdrawing into myself and I would get up and go for a walk. And if, if uh, I just stop talking to you and I, I stop, I, I just, you know, I draw into myself, it means I'm stressed. Other people will say, if I start making really, really stupid jokes, like silly, stupid jokes in times of high stress, it's not because I'm disregarding the fact that some system is down. It's because that's how I cope with stress. I have to joke or else I can't cope, right? And that was a massive learning for a bunch of us because there was a person on the team who, whenever systems went down, would get go into joke mode. And uh, some of us thought that was kind of A, insensitive to other people Mm -hmm. who are trying to handle the problem, but B, just like a totally weird response to have to something so serious. And then... When this person explained, this is my stress response. So I too am stressed. That's just, this is what it looks like. I think everybody went, Oh, and a light bulb went off. So now when the person goes into this mode, we all know, ah, okay, they're stressed too. Right. So don't, 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 uh, don't get mad that they just made a joke about this. Just understand this is how they deal with it.
0: So without like, all right, so, so somebody's listening right now. They're, you know, they're, they're at the gym, they're, they're on their commute, you know, shout out to all the Seeking Wisdom listeners. But like, what, what is that? Like if you're, if you're in, because, because reps, you know, sales reps are still like coin driven, right? Like sales reps still want to make money. That's why they're in the game. Like, what do you, what are you out there are telling them or, or talking to people about or are shifting like in this world where like, Hey, you don't, you don't have all the power like you had 10 years ago, but there's obviously, it doesn't mean that sales reps aren't getting paid or aren't making money. Like the need for sales reps is still, you know, it's still just as high, but what, what's the biggest difference in how they're like, you know, forced to work every single day?
6: Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I think that the biggest thing, because there's so many solutions and attention spans are so slim and, 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 you know, they're, Narrow margins there. The number one thing is you need to be able to overcome inertia, which is, you know, people, a lot of times people think of like a selling system and a lot of selling systems start at discovery. All right, you're sitting down with your customer and now you're going to go through your list of questions and you're going to find out what their pains are. And my feeling is like you should be so lucky to be sitting down with a customer talking about their pains. You know, the customers are busy, way busier than they've ever been. So you need to figure out a way of getting your message to kind of pierce through the armor so that they even care to listen to you. And, you know, what I found, and certainly working with a lot of entrepreneurs, the way I think about messaging, and that's kind of really the tip of the spear, is that messaging is kind of like clothing. We get dressed, we look at ourselves in the mirror before we go out for the day, and we're like, we look good. I look good. And then we go out there, and we, we, we in the light of day, at the party we're going to at the venue, we realize, oh my gosh, I'm totally overdressed, or I'm totally underdressed. Like, this is not landing. And so we have to kind of reshuffle. Meanwhile, the idea, right, should be to to really not develop your messages in a vacuum, to think about how your message is going to pierce through, how you're getting your customers' attention, how you are differentiating yourself and disrupting that inertia. So I think that's, that. you know, there's a lot of content that I talk about on Cerebral Selling, but that's probably one of the biggest areas is like, how do I overcome that inertia?
0: Yeah the the other thing that this is so like one of the things that that we talk a lot I, I love just like talking to our sales reps just as a marketer they they're trying to sell to to me basically right and um one thing that this is just a rant, but like one thing that drives me nuts about the traditional sales process is like so many reps today still are like, okay, great, Dave, you're on the call. You're going to go through my process right now. Okay. I'm going to ask you the questions that I need to get you to the next step. Right. And that's just crazy because like, uh, like you said, like the discovery process is different now. Like I, I don't wake up on a Saturday morning and I'm browsing your business website. Like I'm on your website and I'm talking to you for a reason. Everyone's so damn busy. I'm not just taking a 30 minute call with, you because I, because it's fun. Like there's a clear need. And so like, I think the whole pro the whole process of like, you have to go through my process. I got to make sure I ask, are you the decision maker? Do you have budget? Do you have needs? It, like the whole band process. Like it just seems crazy, but so many people are just have to stick to that script because that's what the model looks like.
6: Yeah, the I call it the polite interrogation. It's like here's the list of questions that you want to answer, <laughs> right. you know, for me, and like, and that kind of kind of goes to the second piece, which is is feelings. You know, I think about it as like a barometer. I did a little video on my YouTube page. Uh, I called it "Okay, Not Okay," which is a thing that has existed in sales for a long time. Which is you're working with a sales rep, and uh, we've all worked with sales reps in our lives that at some point in that that discourse made us feel not okay, like. You did something that was sleazy or you said something or you made me feel pressured or you subjected me to a polite interrogation. And we have to be really conscious about how we're making customers feel because feelings is actually one of the, the biggest kind of drivers of, of selling and affinity, especially now, empathy, feelings. And so when you subject someone to your discovery list of questions, you make them feel not okay. And when they feel not okay, you erode the trust in that relationship. So you always have to be mindful of, you know, just because I have all these questions doesn't mean I'm gonna, you know, they're going to answer them. And so forming, you know, we always talk about being a trusted advisor and forming the trust and rapport in selling is really important, but it has never been more important than it is now.
2: All right, I love let's it. get into let's it.
4: Let's
0: talk about the six things. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna tell them and I want you to do the I'm gonna run through the six principles and you you narrate He's quizzing me. you narrate No no me. I'm gonna tell you what they are. You just comment. Okay, so there's six there's six principles, right? And they're basically all these automatic behaviors that we have. So number one, reciprocity. Okay. He says we all have a natural obligation to mm-hmm. reciprocate. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you in, a, in from a marketing perspective?
2: Yeah, so the way a great example of reciprocity is Uh, Have you ever been over to DHE's Too Young? So she hasn't been... Have you ever been over to Costco? I have. Okay. So you go to Costco. But I don't know where you're going with this. Okay. You go into Costco. Yeah. And uh, you walk around... And there are all these people that are sitting there with little taste. The samples? The samples, right? So you go up to the samples. I
0: never thought of the samples as reciprocity. Come on, man. Damn.
2: Uh, you go up to the samples. So you go into Costco and they have these people that are standing that are free samples. And it'll be samples of chips, samples of drinks, samples of candy, samples of heated food, frozen food. And what they're doing, because Costco got that from, uh, from you know who they got that from? Who? Sam Walton pretty good Walmart okay so they got that and so what that is is an example of reciprocity if you take a sample from someone Mm. you're more inclined to want to do business with that person Mm -hmm. or want to even buy that product Mm. that is why they have those samples out there Mm -hmm. and so that's an example of reciprocity he
0: says another person can trigger a feeling of indebtedness by doing us an uninvited favor so even if the favor is uninvited Mm -hmm. even if you didn't want it Mm -hmm. if I say hey go have this Mm -hmm. then that's how come
2: we're willing to do something I'm willing to do something for anyone who leaves a six-star review. Uh, shouts shout Amy I'm, and DHD in no, there.
0: No, in all honesty, that's why that's why we're okay with spending a bunch of money buying books and giving them away because you're going to help spread the word for the show. Yep. We're going to give you this book.
2: Exactly. It's just right. goodness.
0: Uh, so number one, reciprocity. Number two, by the way, this is like this, you don't have to read the book. You have to read the book, but we're giving it to you.
2: It's okay. okay. You don't num- have to read it. Number
0: one, number one, reciprocity. And by the way, this is literally a, a, a checklist that Cialdini gave me, gave us. He gave mm-hmm. us a card. Yeah. It is on my desk now. This is every, if you know one you thing about seen, marketing.
2: You should have seen. It was the coolest you thing. You should have seen the buck the over here. It was the coolest thing. I should get it. He was it. like a little kid. He gave me this little card. His had eyes these six. were shiny.
0: I keep was- it in my notebook. You don't need anything else. You follow these six things. So number one, I was amazing. I was it amazing.
2: was like Santa Claus. It was really cool. It was really
0: cool. Number one, reciprocity. Number two is social proof. Come on, this is proof. one that seems so obvious to marketers, but how many websites do you go to? How many landing pages do you go to that there's no Almost social all proof? all of them,
2: all of them, all the bad ones, even so, even the first versions of most of our pages. And one of the first things that I point out is that we need social proof. So an example faces. of social proof is you need faces and testimonials, right? You need, if you've ever watched an, an infomercial, uh, you know that 80% of the infomercial, if not 90% of the infomercial is testimonials, uh-huh. right? At one after uh-huh. another, after another, after another. You know another, who is a
0: legendary another? testimonial guy? Who? A legendary social proof. Who? Billy Mays. Billy
2: Mays. Testimonial, testimony, testimony, testimony. DHD is too young for that. She's like, what, what's, Billy the, what Mays, what's an infomercial?
0: Billy Mays would literally smash his foot with a hammer to show uh-huh. you that his foot was not getting injured. Yeah. That is social proof. He would seal up a thing and then put water in it yeah, and yeah. show you.
2: Yeah, the testimonials were the social proof. So that's the social proof. So everything has to have social proof because we make decisions based on that. If you go to amazon.com and you go buy a product you will see uh, the ratings and reviews and the reason the ratings and reviews are there are to trigger social proof social proof number two actually almost all of these things that we're talking about amazon is on the amazon product page and so we'll maybe if you're good we'll give you an example of we did a mock-up i did a, a markup of an amazon page mm. showing this was internal only at drift showing people how uh all of these things are triggered yeah. on every Amazon page. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and so, so Sheldini, uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a doctor. He's a psychologist, mm-hmm. right? PhD. And he said the, the scientific definition is uh, one means we use to determine what is correct is to find out what other people think is correct, mm-hmm. right? So if you're making a decision, show me the 10 people who already did this. I'm more likely to do it. So that's number two, social proof. Number three is really underrated, I think. Not a lot of people talk about this one. And this one is commitment. Mm. <laughs> you remember this one?
2: Uh, yeah, I remember all of these. <laughs> I know so, you do. <laughs> so, commitment. Uh, Charlie Munger would call this commitment consistency bias. Yes. Right? If you look at that, I can't believe pretty the, good. Young, That's the young pretty guy good. trying to, That's trying pretty to, quiz, good. Me, trying to quiz me on cognitive 25.
0: bias. Elias, come in here. Podcasts, no. Elias, come in here. We're talking about Cialdini.
2: Oh, when you guys met him? Yeah. What
0: happened with Cialdini? We're just talking about his book, this, The Principles, Social Proof, con- Commitment, Reciprocity.
2: Elias is shy. This is the
0: first time he's ever been shy. Unbelievable! It, yeah. Like, like this is a live broadcast.
2: All right. <laughs> so, uh, commitment consistency. This yeah. is how we do things here at yeah. Drift. Uh, commitment consistency bias. Yes. So, the bias here is, in the way that Charlie Munger describes it, is that once we have, ma- once we make a decision we are more likely to stick to our decisions and be stubborn about that decision. And that's called commitment consistency. So the more, as as soon as we make a commitment, we have a bias Mm. to want to stick to that commitment and not retreat from that. This
0: is why the gym membership thing is such a powerful model, right? Mm -hmm.
2: Because gym membership thing is a perfect example here, right? So- Gym membership, the way that model works is that you join and somewhere like a Planet Fitness, which is big in the United States, you go, it's like $9.99 a a month, $9.99. It costs nothing. Nothing. But once you've made that commitment, you almost never cancel because in the mind, and this is commitment bias, in the mind you think, Mm. I'm going to go next week. I'm going to go next month. Yeah why would I cancel it? It's just too much worry.
0: Or you don't cancel because you don't want what canceling your membership says, says right? about you. You might mm. have never gone. You might have never gone to the gym once in that yeah, year. Yeah, But if don't you cancel it, you I'm it. not looking at you. If you, <laughs> it, if you cancel it, if you cancel it, then you know that the chance is never going to happen. And so by keeping your membership open, you know you're more likely to go.
2: I have, you know, I went to the gym bias. today. You did? Yeah, YMCA. Respect.
0: Respe- Ooh, <laughs> YMCA. okay. The right.
2: Y, what's up? I also belong to the Equinox
0: Okay. Yeah, but I went to the Y. All right. So uh reciprocity number one, social proof number two, commitment number three, number four is authority. And the point that he makes with authority is that we're all influenced by authority, even if we don't know it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so this is like getting higher, you know, people with bigger job titles or 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 you know, pushing, you know, messages from from the president or or the CEO or yep. you know, putting your face on a letter that we write out yeah. to people, and right?
2: So so a perfect combination of the authority bias and the social proof bias is that You'll try to get someone. Imagine that this book, on the book page, that there was a testimonial from a former president. Come on. Right? And so that's that hits two things. Yeah. Authority bias. Oh, I didn't even think And of that. social proof bias. Right? So you got social proof and you have authority mixed in there. And so that's why people tend to choose people with elevated status mm. whether it's uh professionals uh influencers or business people it's because it's hitting on multiple biases here. he because he says he says we all fall for the even the perception mm-hmm. of authority, authority. Yep. yeah
0: It always works which is one of my pet peeves which is the six person startup where everyone is a vp or c level person that's the not, that's here. not here okay scarcity scarcity come on you right. could do a, you could do an hour, you could yeah. do it. How many texts have you sent me in my life about scarcity?
2: scarcity? Everyone forgets the scarcity yeah. part. So again, a perfect example of this. Go to Amazon, go to a product listing page, and often on that product listing page, you'll see a little thing that's under right at the top. And you know what that little thing says? It says, only two left mm. we'll We'll be getting more. We'll get more next week. but two two items are left and uh, and what that triggers in you is that they're going to run out. So, But they hit you with another thing. They don't, it's not misleading. It's not saying, I'm never going to get any of these. We're going to get more next week. But if you want this this week, uh, we only have two left.
0: Yeah. If you want it in your house by Saturday, you better get it now. Exactly.
2: And then they trigger it again one other way, which is if you order in the next one hour, we can have this to you by tomorrow. Mm. right? And if you order two hours later, it's going to take two days urgency and scarcity urgency in one scarcity bucket. together.
0: So, But what, what I learned from this and then, and then the thing about how we apply this is he says that the law, it's actually the thing with scarcity is the loss is more powerful than the gain. Mm-hmm. It's people's yeah, what we miss out on, the potential loss is what drives behavior. Not mm-hmm. that I have to get this so bad, yeah. but oh my God, I'm going to miss out. Am I going to miss out on this if I don't get it now?
2: Absolutely. I think uh, Charlie Munger calls out loss aversion. So one of the things that we don't want is forget the gain. We're more scared of loss. Mm-hmm. Right, so loss of status or loss of yeah. an opportunity. I mean,
0: it's the same same thing, right? Like in your in in one of your new favorite books, like Relentless, and your guy Tim Grover. Right, if you talk to somebody like Michael Jordan, did Michael Jordan love winning so much, or did he hate losing? He hated losing. Hated losing. Mm-hmm. Okay, last one Me number too. number six. I know number number six, and then we're out here because we just broke down the whole book. Number All six right. is liking. Mm-hmm. People are easily persuaded by other people that they like.
2: Yes, and so uh, liking bias, I think. I'm trying to remember what Charlie Munger calls this, but this is uh, one of his as well. All of these are are part of his, and then he expands into 25, right? This is only six. So liking bias. Mm -hmm. Liking is um, the more, this one is interesting, because the more likable someone seems to you, and it might be totally uh, someone that someone else would not like, the more willing you're uh, to do business with them. Or to do something with them. Yeah, right? this
0: is why. This is why, like those um, MLMs, like the multi-level marketing mm-hmm. things. This is why they work so well, right? Yeah. The Mary Kay, the Tupperware, the whatever, because it's usually from somebody that you're friends with.
2: Totally. And this is actually one. The reverse of this is something that we're that I'm always talking about internally here, which is one of the traps that we fall in with this bias right here. This liking bias mm-hmm. is that we are often, all of us, are often unwilling to learn from people that we don't like because of this bias.